Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 516. I'm Ryan Pagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Singh. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, hey, Ryan. I wanted to tell you I have some great news, which is yes. that I have decided to kick off my Halloween watching with the Blade Trinity. Ooh. I caught some Blade on TV and I was like, dang it, this is so good. And so now I'm going to go back. And yeah. I'm going to watch them all because I just forgot who's in these movies. Like, all the things that happen. Blade 1, so good. Blade 2, really cool. Real weird, really cool. I love it. Blade 3, bananas. Absolutely oh. bananas. When he catches that baby and goes, coochie-coo, that's like <laughs> the best thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. I watched it 15 times. I was like, sorry, we're going to have to back that up again and watch it. <laughs> oh, Yeah. I wanted to also give a shout out to a comic shop I visited this past weekend, New York Hardcore Comics, which is in Dobbs Ferry, which I love that New York Hardcore themed comic book shop, which is something very near and dear to my heart, is in a very like nice neighborhood of Dobbs Ferry, which is like part of Westchester. It's like fancy houses and stuff. So fancy. Yeah. So fancy. And it's like this wonderful, great little comic shop right in there. Wonderful owners, Lee and Debo talking to them. They're really cool with Catherine being in there. So I wanted to give them a shout out because they're terrific. And I shot them a note and Debo wrote back and he was like, ah, yeah, we've met before. I've seen you and Lorraine doing cool stuff with Thwip at New York Comic Con and and stuff like that. So it was really cool. It's a great shop. If you find yourself for some reason in Dobbs Ferry, New York, go check it out. Yeah, do it. But we're not just here to talk about good times in Westchester County. We're also here to talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we just are really into. So enjoy. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, later on in the show, we're going to have Aquafina from Marvel Studios, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So stay tuned for that. And then speaking of Marvel Studios, Lorraine, what was that big news that just popped? Marvel Studios Hawkeye released the trailer that put me in the holiday spirit, plus a beautiful teaser poster. I'm just going to read some flavor text for you guys because it makes me feel so right because you know what comes after Halloween movie season is holiday movie season. And it is four months of movie watching heaven for me and me alone. All right, let's do it. Here we go. Former Avenger Clint Barton has a seemingly simple mission, get back to his family for Christmas. Possible? Maybe with the help of Kate Bishop, a 22-year-old archer with the dreams of becoming a superhero. The two are forced to work together when a presence from Barton's past threatens to derail far more than the festive spirit. It looks so good. We get to see our first glimpses of Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop, which I know that we are all super duper jazzed for. I've seen a lot of people screenshotting certain little delightful moments, maybe a Broadway moment that is being captured in the trailer. I I don't want to spoil anything for you. Just go over and check it out on Marvel's social media or YouTube channel. And of course, look out for the first episode on November 24th, only on Disney+. Plus. So soon. I mean, you're talking about the Halloween movies, but you've glossed over the fact that we get into Thanksgiving season and mm-hmm. we will be thankful for getting Marvel Studios Hawkeye right around the end of November. It's going to be great. Oh, that's such a good one. Yeah. Also good Marvel Studios What If still rolling on. We have another amazing episode that dropped this week and it is What If Killmonger Rescued Tony Stark. And every week I'm just like, this one's the best. This one's great. This one's so good. We're not going to say anything. It's got a lot of cool twists and turns and different things. And it, it's another one that leaves me going, but... I want 10 more hours of this, literally this. Mm -hmm. Give me more. This series just is the gift that keeps on giving every week is so good. And also, we have to be patient between films. And it's really, really fun to revisit these characters in new ways. Like, you know, we haven't seen Killmonger in a minute, which it's really exciting to have him back in the MCU. Of course, you can stream that episode now only on Disney+. Plus. While we're talking about Disney+, Plus, we got to congratulate Marvel Studios on their three Emmy wins from the Creative Arts Emmy Awards. The Emmy ceremony that you'll watch on TV is going to be coming up this weekend. So there are more nominations there, but congrats to the creative team behind Marvel Studios' WandaVision for outstanding fantasy slash sci-fi costumes, outstanding production design, and outstanding original music and lyrics for, you know it, you guessed it, Agatha all along. Of course, if you want to check out the Emmys, check them out this week to root on 
all of the amazing actors and creative folks that have been nominated that are going to be featured there on the Emmys. It's really, honestly, very exciting to see how much love there is for these series. Hell yeah. You know what else we have love for? Marvel games. Now, last week, we were able to put the episode out right after the big Sony PlayStation Showcase, and it was wonderful there. There were some big announcements and and cool things, but we thought, wouldn't it be great to have someone from Marvel games on the show to talk with us? And we are able to arrange that for this episode, I think. We have to give him a call. So, Lorraine, do you think we can call Bill Roseman, Vice President Creative from Marvel Games? Oh, yeah. I got his number right here. Okay, here we go. Beep, pop, boop, 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 beep, boop, boop, boop. Ring, ring, ring. Bill Roseman's phone. Ring, ring. This is Twim. Ring, ring. Hello. Hey, Bill. It's Lorraine and Ryan. Well, hello, Lorraine and Ryan. How are you? We're great. What did we learn last week at that PlayStation Showcase? We announced not one, but two upcoming PS5 games. One was, you know, probably rumored or hoped for, and that would be Marvel's Spider-Man 2. The second, what was so fun about it, it was a complete surprise, and that was Marvel's Wolverine, also coming to PlayStation 5, also being made by our friends Insomniac Games and published by PlayStation. So first was the Wolverine trailer. People saw the Insomniac logo and Marvel logo, and we were watching a bunch of reaction videos. This is Spider-Man. Why are we in a bar? That's not Peter. What is that? One person joked, eh, that kind of looks like Wolverine. And then when the claws popped and he jumped out of his seat, he said, I was just joking. So that was a really pleasant surprise. No one even knew it was being worked on. So in this age of spoilers, anytime you can surprise and delight an audience, I think that adds like 20 to 30% of joy. So we were very, very happy that we maintained that. Creative director Brian Horton who was creative director for the Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales game. So that is in excellent hands. If you go back and look at the trailer, the scene where you are behind Logan and he is at the bar, it is chock full of Easter eggs. And I will say this, the internet detectives have indeed found some of them, but they have not found all of the Easter eggs. So I continue to watch and continue to see their speculation Many of us on the Marvel Games team and Insomniac and throughout all of Marvel, when people ask who your favorite character is, Wolverine's always right up there. He's a character that's been near and dear to our heart, and we were just waiting for the right collaborative partner at the right time, and we found it. Ah, gosh, there's so much to get into. I want to know everything. Marvel's Spider-Man 2. What can you tell us about, I mean, like, literally, honestly, everything? Um, Costumes, villains, maybe who was that voice that we were hearing? Well, we're not quite ready to reveal that, but it was a voice of a character who is in the game. First, I got to say, Marvel's Spider-Man 2, creative director on the Insomniac side, is Brian Intihar, who was creative director on the first Spider-Man game, Bill, before you go on, you've mentioned creative director a couple times. What is a creative director? Real quick, what is their position in the game? Creative director oversees almost all aspects of the game and works very closely with our side. That's the person I most interact with. We work on what is the story? Who are the main characters? What is the story about? If you're going to tell a Spider-Man story, a Miles story, a Wolverine story, what's the wish fulfillment of the experience? If you could pick characters, which characters would you want to have in the perfect Spider-Man, Miles, or Wolverine experience? And then just working on everything. Logo, box art, working with those who make the the soundtrack, working with the team that does animation. It's really, it's one person who's kind of looking at many, many elements. And I call them the flag bearers. You know, they are carrying that Marvel flag and they are sticking it in the ground and they're rallying the team and they're too humble to say that, so I'll say it for them. So I just want to tell the Marvel fans that Logan and Peter and Miles are in great hands. It's real fans who are super passionate about the characters. And it all comes from a place of respect and love and authenticity. So speaking of authenticity, Marvel Spider-Man 2, what's new? Well, you've seen, if you look at on the physical side, Peter, his advanced suit has some updates. If you look at it, you'll notice some features, the color has changed. The red is a bit uh, deeper, more bold. Miles, his suit has been updated as well. You'll see things like the stripe has extended down the arm. Little things, because I think the team did such a great job on the costumes that we don't want to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. But 
we're now, it's PS5, and what could we do to, just to update the costumes, the textures a little bit? You saw Miles and Spider-Man fighting unnamed foes. You heard a voice saying that he wants to be challenged, and he's always been disappointed. Will you give me the challenge that I desire? And then, out of the dark alleyway, you hear, yes, we will. And you see the flash of venom. Ah! Yeah, there are, there are multiple foes. I can say the story very much continues and picks up from Marvel Spider-Man and Marvel Spider-Man and Miles Morales. Don't want to reveal too much, but it's the next big chapter. There are a lot of threads, a lot of characters that were in the first two games that you'll see them here. So, yeah, it's Miles, it's Peter, it's Venom, it's a mysterious voice, it's everything you love but more. That's great. We love more. We want more. And I would say, if the first Spider-Man game was Star Wars, Spider-Man 2 is kind of our empire. Ooh. Ooh. It's a little darker. What can you say to all the fans who are pretty much now losing their minds for more information, more details, more looks, any tidbits as they eagerly await these games' releases in 2023 and beyond? Yes. Marvel Spider-Man 2... As the trailer said, 2023, we will eventually reveal when Wolverine is, is aimed to launch. I would say, for more, man, go back and study those trailers. They're packed. They're packed with little details and Easter eggs. Follow Insomniac Games on Twitter. Follow PlayStation. Follow Marvel Games. We will be releasing more information when we can and when it's ready. Okay, I have to ask one teeny thing before we hang up. Okay. If someone were to look for your favorite Easter egg in the Marvel's Wolverine teaser, where on screen would you suggest they look? Oh, that's a good one. You could look at the cash register. And actually, in the scene where he pops his claws, there's something on the bar. That's my favorite. But what is it? It's up to everyone listening to go find those. But for now, Bill, thanks so much for taking our call. Hey, thanks for remembering my number and for giving me a ring and keeping me company. I appreciate it. Anytime. It's our pleasure. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right. Big thank you to Bill Roseman over there doing the Lord's work, getting you cool Marvel stuff and all your Marvel games and making it feel extra Marvel-y Marvel. I think... He's probably got to have Marvel tattooed on the inside of his lip at this point. Do you get a royalty every time you say Marvel? If so, you just made like a lot of money. Oh, I have to pay. It's, it's the you opposite. You have to pay? I have You're to getting pay. taxed? I'm pay. getting, yeah, there, there's a, a Marvel tax. A usage fee? Can you imagine? <laughs> I'd be in debt. <laughs> but you know what won't have us in debt? Or maybe will because we want to buy them all. Marvel Legends. Tell us about the uh, Hasbro event. For First yeah. Fan Monday. Yeah, there was a uh, Fan First Monday live stream that Hasbro did on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, which was great. And it was our pals Dwight, Ryan, and Dan from the Marvel Legends team, three sweet boys, and they were showing off a ton of cool stuff. Dwight, he teases everyone because he has the final big figures always ahead of time, of course. And he was showing off his HasLab Galactus, the big Marvel Legends Galactus, 32 inches tall. And he has the Doctor Doom head, which is amazing. That is the final stretch goal. So they talked about all the heralds and all that stuff. So we can expect our Galacti, Galactuses, to come next year. But last year's Marvel Legends HasLab project was the Sentinel. And those are being shipped now. I am not very patiently waiting for mine. I haven't gotten a notification yet, but I know it'll be on its way very soon. They showed off a three-pack of Excalibur figures, very 80s, 90s style with Captain Britain and Shadowcat and Megan. It was really, really cool. They showed off some troop-building figures with Skrulls and Shield Troops. That's pretty cool, especially if you're like into Secret Invasion mm -hmm. or just like the, that kind of stuff. And then they had a lot of retro stuff, which was cool. They had the Toy Biz retro animated Spider-Man style Marvel Legends, where they showed off new figures like Black Suit Spider-Man, Ben Riley Spider-Man, Hobgoblin, who looked amazing. The colors were very much from the 90s animated show. One of your favorites, Hammerhead. I don't know if he's one of your favorites, but I feel like you would love Hammerhead. <laughs> I <Ryan>. do. <laughs> he's great. He comes with a big old bat as well, which is just so unnecessary because he's this. he just uses his head as a weapon, but I'm all for it. <laughs> They showed off Armored Spider-Man Mark 1, which is from the cover of Web of Spider-Man number 100. Very 90s look. I loved it. And then they showed off a Shocker figure, which I immediately took a picture of and sent it to former This Week in Marvel West Coast host and friend of ours, Mark Strom, who is the biggest Shocker fan 
I know that figure looked great. And on top of that, there was a lot of like retro 1990 style Marvel Legends figures, some that they had already shown off, but they announced like a new Falcon in his classic costume, a Loki in the classic yellow and green style costume. And then I don't know if you've seen the pictures of it, Lorraine, but Trickster Loki, this female Loki, and she's got an amazing costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me. Those will have like the classic style cards and and those will be great. And then they started teasing stuff for 2022, which I love that that's the part of the year we're in. We're getting like teases for the future, whether it's comics or games or whatever. And now it's action figures as well. There's going to be a Marvel Legends six inch figure with no legs being released next year. So that could be any number of characters. I think they did a cannonball who has just had his blast in features without the bottom oh, half like of his, them. He's got the little tail behind him. Yeah. I think they did that previously. So who knows what they can do in the future. They're going to have a, another Marvel Legends six-inch scale figure on an oversized Spider-Man card, which is going to be really cool. And then this one was really neat. The final tease that they had was two characters who've never appeared in Toy Biz or Hasbro six-inch Marvel Legends line, but the characters were also featured in the Marvel Universe Series 2 card set. So that is like very specific and I immediately started running through all those cards in my brain because I know them so well and I don't want to spoil anything because I think I know a couple of possibilities but I'm sure anybody out there can do the googling and you can find that but there's some really cool potentials from narrowing down that list which is very exciting. Side note, when I went to visit my parents, I found some of my old Marvel cards and some that belong to other folks still in the plastic. What? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so proud of me. And now I'm going to open them. But anyway, sell them and pay for your renovations. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, that's a good idea. But let's move on because we got so much more going on here. We, of course, talked a little bit about the Marvel Unlimited relaunch that happened last week when we spoke with Kelly Thompson and Steve Wacker from Marvel about It's Jeff, my favorite Infinity comic of all time, the cutiest, cutie, bitey little shark boy that's ever walked on four legs with a tail. Yeah. I'll take that. That that seems about right. But we have a lot of new books. There are 27 exclusive Infinity Comics since last week. And this week, we added to that X-Men Unlimited, the Infinity Comic number three, as well as Captain America, the Infinity Comic, also number three, and another installment of It's Jeff, number four. He's the best. Also, Giant Size Little Marvels has an Infinity Comic for their fourth issue as well. They're all such awesome series. I love the format. I just really do love this sort of downscrolling format is really, really cool for these Infinity Comics. Yeah, I'm looking at the calendar right now of what's coming the rest of September and then looking into October. It's good. There's some really cool stuff in here. I hope everybody subscribes to Marvel Unlimited. And if you haven't yet, maybe, maybe even wait and think about subscribing to Marvel Unlimited Plus because this week we also announced the MU Plus kit for 2022, which features a whole host of stuff. So you get the subscription to the app for a year, which is wonderful in and of itself. You get additional benefits like access and invites to Marvel events, which I hear from a bunch of our listeners who get to go to them, which is really awesome. You get 10% off Marvel merchandise and stuff at shopdisney.com. But you also get in the kit a limited edition Hasbro Marvel Legends Captain Kate Pride figure, which is not available anywhere else. So you get a really cool Kitty Pride figure with Lockheed and a big old sword. You get two variant comics, X-Men number one, the most recent series, a Marvel Stormbreaker Peach Momoko variant, and Sinister War number one, a Mark Aspinall variant. Those two are awesome. Only place to get them is in MU+. On top of that, you get a Ghost Spider pin by Scotty Young. That right there is what? People pay like 15, 20 bucks for one of those pins, mm-hmm. at least. You get a patch from Sword, the organization that's in the comics right now. All of that stuff. It is $99 for the annual. You get that this year. You're going to be good for a whole year. And that runs into like eight bucks a month for all that stuff. So a heck of a deal. Really cool. It's an outrageous deal. I know. I know. The amount of stuff that you get. And then you also get 10% off of Marvel merchandise at Shop Disney, which I got to be honest, I don't know how many times we've done that for this bundle, but man... The holidays are coming up. You can save a lot of money. 
Of course, go visit marvel.com slash unlimited to go get started. Automatic renewal and other terms apply. You know the deal. Go check out all of those details over there. And, you know, a book that you're going to read in a couple of months, sometime next year, if you're a Marvel Unlimited subscriber, is Avengers Forever, which we got some new details for, including a face-destroying cover by Aaron Cooter. There are something like 100 characters on that cover. And I think some of them are new. Some of them are from different parts of the multiverse. The series written by Jason Aaron. It's got art by Aaron Cooter. It ties into what's going on in Avengers. But the idea is it features the mightiest heroes of every Earth. Big multiversal team as they assemble for one of the greatest battles the Marvel Universe has ever witnessed. And throughout this, we can you know expect to see appearances by characters such as Captain Carter. America Chavez, Starhawk, and other characters from across the multiverse, brand new characters like the invincible Ant-Man, who is described in the release as the world's most wanted archaeologist, Tony Stark, the invincible Ant-Man. There's so much to that I don't understand yet, and I can't wait to find out. So that series is going to be super duper cool. I love both Aaron's Cooter and Aaron Jason. Does that make sense? Jason Aaron and Aaron Kuda. They both share a name, but one's in the front, one's in the back. The Aaron end. and Aaron. Aaron and Aaron. Definitely go check that out. It's going to be on stands December 22nd. But of course, you can also read it in Marvel Unlimited in the coming months after that, because that's how it works. Also, something to look out for. This is coming up very soon. It's Hispanic Latinx Heritage Month. And Marvel's Voices Comunidades is coming in October. Yeah. So this Marvel's Voices issue is really cool. It has a bunch of contributions and stories featuring and being created by folks who are Latinx or Hispanic. There is a difference. We actually had a great conversation with Tony Blass for Marvel's Pull List about the distinctions for that. But it's really neat. I'm very excited for it. One of my closest friends has a story in there, Alex Segura. I think it's great. And as someone who identifies as Hispanic and Latinx, because my father was from Colombia, I'm very excited. I want more of this. I want more of that representation in our comics and all of our media. So it's friggin' great. Go check out Marvel's Voices Comunidades when it comes out in October. There's also a blog from the games team celebrating the folks on that staff who are Latinx and Hispanic. So check that out on Marvel.com right now. And stay tuned for more just celebrating all of Hispanic Latinx Heritage Month from Marvel, but also the broader Walt Disney Company. Yeah, but we've got even more show for you because we have not one, but two, count them two, one, two interviews. First up, we have our pal Angelique Rocher, host of Marvel's Voices, also a wonderful person who works on the Marvel Voices line of comics with the editorial team. And she talked to the two co-authors of Black Nerd Problems, Omar Holman and William Evans, about their new book of essays. And this is really interesting because they all have a background in slam poetry. They also founded the Black Nerd Problems website in 2014, and they talk about a bunch of other cool stuff. So go and take a listen right now. Welcome to TWIM. I am so excited to have you all here to talk about your book, to talk about the website. But I want to kick it off. What is your personal Marvel origin story? Kick it off with William. Oh, man, that's a Good one. I think I kind of tempered around the edges of like Marvel stories. Like I knew some Marvel stories, but I hadn't like read issues for a while. And there's of nerddom, like comic books were like the last thing I like I completely latched on to. I was very much the, well, I'm just gonna read some trades, right? I'll read some trades when they come out. Like I'll wait till it's collected and then all of a sudden I'm like reading and reviewing like 10 books a week. But um my Marvel origin, I guess it'd be a little bit later. I think the first books that I remember reading way back were probably like the priest Black Panther runs. And like that got me intrigued and I could never like place it. Like, oh, I couldn't place like, oh, it came out this year, this run. But like, I, I remember Black Panther was like the thing that got me most interested in reading Marvel books. And so I remember that run specifically. And then I think the run that I read that I was like, okay, I just have to start reading more stuff to know the world around it was probably Black Panther Doom War, where it was just like, you got an incorporation, of course, that's Doom in there. Then you bring in Deadpool in some weird, unexpected appearance, right? The Midnight Angels, and then, you know, Fantastic Four shows up. And there's so many elements of the Marvel Universe that show up in that. I was like, okay, now I got to backtrack and like 
increase my knowledge base of these other characters. And that's kind of what made me kind of explode out and want to explore the Marvel universe more. That is amazing. And there are lots of questions I could ask, but I got to hear Omar has been patiently waiting. What's your origin story? I guess mine takes place in parts. I was in like first grade. I remember my father, I remember discovering like his comic books, but they're all like kind of like bunched together in like a file cabinet. And so I'd like pick them out and he had like Samaritan and like, um, and then the Black Panther and Thor comic books. My brother, when he would visit, he had like cable comic books. And this was like in the later in the 90s. I honestly cannot remember how. But I knew I like, I like, I'm gonna start collecting comic books. I'm in high school. And I, it was that Daredevil run from Bendis and Alex Maleev. That was like the holy grail for me right there. That was like fortunately six years of greatness. But I guess we've always been a Marvel household. It's my brother's story, but like one time mom was sick and uh, he was like, all right, I gotta go to school, mom. And he slapped a Spider-Man sticker on her wall and was like, well, Spider-Man protect you while I'm gone. And I was like, oh, so we're, we've always just been a Marvel family from jump, I guess. That is adorable. And God bless brothers, because that's how I saw my first X-Men comics. I actually have two older sisters. I got lucky that they both got married when I was a little bit younger. So I, I kind of inherited brothers. So here's the thing. I kind of want to go back. I want to talk about the origins of Black Nerd Problems. But I also, so one of the things I love is y'all both did poetry slams. And I was actually a slam poet for about 12 years. So I love the fact that poetry is kind of one of these places where nerds reside. Talk to me about how that friendship of frenemies turn into true friendship, I guess is the best way to say it. Just from my perspective, you know, one of the good things, I don't know that it would have changed history or anything, but like when Omar and I first met, we didn't compete against each other that first year. Like we didn't actually compete against each other until like we knew each other, right? And so I don't know if it would have been different if it had been like, okay, we caught up on stage, Omar beats me in the last round, with a poem and I'm like, oh, well, screw that dude. Like, I don't know what's on the horizon, but I will never form a website with that dude. I know that for sure, right? Like, I don't know that that would have happened, but what was cool is that we met each other, we got to know each other, and then we hit some stages where we were like going against each other. Most of the time it's, it's cool. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I love your work, love your work. And sometimes you get on stage like, I can't believe he's still rocking them same poems from da 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 da. And like, I'm not gonna get beat with these 1942 poems. Like, you know, you know, we didn't have, we were cool and we already had a friendship. And then it really, just because we were friends and then it was like shared interests, talking about nerd stuff, talking about pop culture and, and all the stuff. And like, the closer we got, the more we kind of shared these things and learned that these things kind of overlap for us, right? I love that. So you go from these conversations, right, into actually starting Black Nerd Problems. Like, where does this kernel of a thought, we're going to have an enterprise together? I can answer that. All right, so you do slam poetry, you do poetry slam, but usually that leads you to other things. And so one day, we were talking about comics, and Will had said, yo, would it be crazy if, like, we put together a website, right, where we could talk about these things through like a black lens and stuff, like just be, you know, we could talk about like things that kind of get skipped over in like mainstream media and whatnot. And I was like, you know I mean? Yeah, we, I mean, yeah, it's something that could be done. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And so the very next day, I mean, it comes in, all right, so if I put money up, right? And then <laughs> we get people behind this. And I was like, oh, okay, so if we're gonna do that. It was literally like the Avengers Initiative. And I was like, okay, well, if we're going to do that, maybe we need these people. And we had nine people from different, nine people we hadn't even met in real life yet. We know, but we knew them through the internet. Internet's real. So nine people that did various talents and different portions of genres. Like, oh, we got our cosplay nerd. We got our anime nerd. We got our gamer nerds here. And so through that, from nine, we became... It's 30 It plus. might be in the it's 30s. 30 plus, yeah. So, and that's over a span of seven years. I mean, most folks, you know, the magic of the internet and the fact that we're writing as a primary thing, that made it easier for us to find folks that like shared our idea of what this nerdum looked like and and how we wanted to see ourselves and i think i think the big thing for omar and i and hopefully this comes through in the book is that we didn't want to filter ourselves we're black we speak in a certain dialect so to speak we speak our own language half the time especially when you got the crossover of being black and being nerd and we didn't want to have to translate that for people we didn't want to have to dumb it down or we didn't have to water it down i should say probably we wanted to be able to speak the way we speak without having to worry and apologize for how we sound and so when we started finding people or people started finding us a lot of people reached out to us like hey 
love this thing you're doing. You know, I'm a writer too. I would love to write for y'all. Those were the folks that we looked for. And, and that was our sales pitch. Like, yo, how you talk, how you write, we want your whole authentic self here. I think that's the aesthetic and the model that we've built. And I hope that's why the community that we've, that we've built with BNP embraces it because they see themselves in it and they see themselves in it without compromise, I would hope. The website has grown substantially. We've kind of talked about that. You've got more than 30 active writers. I love also that a good majority of your writers are women. How have you been able to navigate that expansion while really trying to keep that voice you were talking about? Because you've had a pretty, I mean, seven years, it is not necessarily a long length of time. Uh, Omar's time. like, it, it feels like time. decades. Listen, it feels like decades. when you're on Twitter, that's a long time. <laughs> As social media, it's a long time. <laughs> I mean, social media time is faster than dog years, but yes. Right. I think Omar and I, when we started this, like we knew very well what we could do, right? But I think one of the reasons that we wanted to build a roster was because we wanted it to be outside of our particular expertise or, or interests, right? Like, you know, if it were just me and Omar on the site, we probably wouldn't have had much cosplay stuff on there, right? If it was just me and Omar on the site, we wouldn't have much uh, Sojo anime, right? Like, there's just, like, things that are either outside of our interests or outside of our expertise that we wanted to be more broad. And we knew just because we were diverse, because we were Black from the mainstream, we wanted to still be diverse within our own stature, right? And, you know, thank you, Angelique, for noticing. I don't want to big it up too much, but there was a time that we looked at our roster and we was like, yeah, there's a lot of dudes here. And we pretty much just put like a two-year memoriam. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, no more no more dudes. No more cishet identifying dudes. Like, uh, like, we're good. We're good here in terms of the writers we're bringing on because we wanted to make sure that we were representing the community that we wanted to be part of. And it didn't necessarily look like more dudes that look like Omar and I. So that was a conscious decision. And then I think that changed. There's a lot of people that know BNP that actually don't know Omar and I that well, right? Like they know BNP because they like see Tiffy's videos, right? Or like they read Aisha's articles or they read Brittany Williams articles or, or Carrie McLean. And that's that's best case scenario for us, right? Because again, if we wanted it to just be like the Will and Omar show, it would have just been the Will and Omar show. And it would not even been as close to doing what I think Binder Problems is doing now. That's my perspective on it, at least. Now, speaking of that, the first essay in the book is all about defining the word nerd. And so we know the word nerds out there. We know the word blurds out there. The word nerd has evolved. For both of you, what does nerd mean to you? And we'll start off with you, Omar. So nerd is a subculture within a subculture, right? And it's become more mainstream now. So instead of a nerd being a person, it seems like it's more of a spectrum because you can be a fan of all these things. Nerd has evolved into a term where it means you're a fan of these things. Like I will be the first to apologize because I had a friend that was a sneakerhead. I'm like, that's not nerdy, man. Nah, it, I was wrong. It is, you can be a sneakerhead. Whatever you are passionate about, Whatever you are a fan of, you are a nerd for that thing. So nerd now means like a fan. You're a fan on a spectrum of genres that like, people that know sports are nerds, man. Oh, this guy has a batting average of this, this, this. oh, he has shooting average. Like, you, know, you know all these averages and stuff like that. Like, saying you're a nerd for something just means you're a fan of something now. So that to me, that's what the evolution of the word means. Someone said something, and I'm sorry if I'm going to crush someone's childhood. It took us so long to move out of the aesthetic that is the black nerd that is Urkel from Family Matters, which, by the way, he was not the nerd avatar. It was Dwayne Wayne from Different World, but that's a whole other conversation. If I start talking about Urkel, it's going to be a five-hour show. We don't need that, right? So anyway, yeah, I, I agree with Omar. And I, I think that pop culture has really made nerd mainstream in a way that we probably didn't predict, right? And like, I think the biggest thing of that is comic book films. It's like the MCU, right? Like 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, you still get clowned for like reading comic books, right? Like that was kind of a like, oh, you read comics? Oh, you must stay at home with your mom too. Like that was the follow-up, right? Now, you know, these are like people's favorite movies and they come from comics. Like you can't make Thanos jokes and then be like, oh, but you read comics. Like, no, you only got jumped in now, fam, you're here. So I feel like 
different things have made a lot of nerd culture part of popular culture. And so like people are just more accepting of them. And I feel like, you know, anime is the next thing, right? Like there's still like a lot of resistance to anime and like people don't realize how much anime is out there. Like there's so much anime out there, but anime is one of the most watched things on Netflix. Like that's an insane thing to say. If you were looking at the dawn of Netflix, you know, 15 years ago, however long this has been around. I think those kind of things are making it more mainstream. And I think in turn, it has made nerd like a very, you know, it's a badge of honor now. And just with Will saying like, you know, more people are claiming it now. We got to talk about like the gatekeeping of that. It's the lack of identity now. Like, oh, this nerd was like my personality now. Now that more people have become it and it's become mainstream now, it's like, what does that make me? Which leads to like the gatekeeping. But gatekeeping is the path to the dark side. You know, it leads to anger. That leads to hate. That leads to the dark side. You got to stop that. We don't want that. Nerd is for everyone. That's all I just want to throw that in there. One of the things I love about Black Nerd Problems is that the commentary and the perspective really talks about some of our most beloved and sometimes some of our lesser known characters. One in particular being my favorite, which is Monica Rambeau. And you wrote a whole essay about her and she's like really my favorite. Like talk to me about this Monica love because... I loved folks being introduced to her in Marvel Studios' Captain Marvel. I love the fact that in Marvel Studios' WandaVision on Disney+, Plus, we're now getting, like, more of her and there's more to come. But, like, this is hardcore Monica love. Yeah. <laughs> As a kid, right, you see these characters appear. There's, when you're a black kid, you see certain black characters appear, and you're like, oh, I like this character. How could I find out more about them? And I remember her in Marvel Divas, and she was hilarious in Marvel Divas, and just sitting around talking to her friends, her white friends, and just calling them out on things that happened in Katrina. And, like, she kept it 100. She appeared in Black Panther. Next Wave. She was in Next Wave, and then she was in Captain Marvel, and then she was in um, Mighty Avengers. Al Ewing's wrong in Mighty Avengers. And I was like, oh, that's, oh, my God. Ooh, oh, Mighty Avengers. Al, Al Ewing, man. And it was dope because every iteration had her like with her natural hair until she was in that issue. And then he addressed it as well in that issue as well. But then she went back to her normal hair when it was Captain America and the Mighty Avengers. So yeah, now I'm just, I'm just like such a fan. She's like the most powerful being on like the planet, man. Like literally like a god. And then like that evolution of her, like, yo, I'm not, this is just my human form, man. This isn't how I see myself. And she's, I could literally go on about Monica, man. And just so dope in seeing like her hit the big screen as well. I'm just trying to see Monica and Rainbow get her flowers. Yell, Spectrum, if you're nasty, I call Spectrum because I'm nasty. You know, that's, that's all I'm trying to do. That's all we're trying to do. All of them. She deserves all of the flowers. And, like, I love the fact that you... And that's kind of how I got introduced to her as well. Is like, it's almost like pulling a thread. And you see her in one comic, and you're like, wait, who are you? And then you get all the way back to, like, the Spider-Man annual, and you're like, oh. I feel like that, for me, my introduction, again, because I was coming into comics a little bit later, comparatively, I guess was definitely Mighty Avengers. And then the Ultimates was just like, that might be my favorite team of superheroes. Like there's been some great Avengers runs with some great writers behind it, but that Ultimates team, and they kept it so black. <laughs> they kept it so black. Blue I just, Marvel. Yeah, oh yeah. It's just, and Monica got to be like full Monica, right? Like there was no suppressing powers like it was on an intergalactic scale like it was just full monica like that that run is amazing Ugh. all right so i gotta ask like do you have a favorite marvel character or story because mine is next wave because i'm gonna tell you next wave is a masterpiece i mean mine is i i shout it to the rooftops every time mine is the hickman time runs out secret wars run what he does with all the heroes what he does with Black Panther, like Black Panther is just, even when I got the chance to talk to Coates, he was just like, yo, I was definitely following in the footsteps of what Hickman did with Black Panther to start my run. Like, but what he did with Doom, everything that Hickman does in that run, like the inevitability of things is so amazing. And you're like, of course that makes sense, right? Like, of course Doom is a God if he had a chance to be a God. Like, of course that makes sense. All those things that going into the Secret Wars and like just the master plan there, that's probably my favorite run. Favorite character overall, like Monica is definitely one of my favorite characters. I actually think like in the last few years, especially Kamala Khan has become one of my favorite Marvel characters. I think just the range of all the things that Kamala could be involved in. And of course, the writers that have been writing Kamala, G. Will Wilson, of course, and Ahmed, like she's one of my favorite characters, like full stop. And then, of course, it's, you know, Storm and the right story. Good God. The power, the power that has, right? When Storm gets a writer 
that is just like I'm going full in on Storm. Like this is Storm story because I think all of us that have followed Storm knows what it feels like when Storm kind of gets pushed to the background of a story, right? And so sometimes, you know, that's necessary because there's a bigger overall story. But like the times when Storm takes center stage, those are usually like custom built for me. I love those. So what about you, Omar? <sighs> all right. I was going to say the Daredevil run for Bendis, but now nah, if I if I look in my heart of hearts, Hickman is, Darkseid is, but Hickman is though. And I gotta say this X-Men run, man, I think this might be my favorite, because my man done put the X-Men where they needed to be. Like we done got rid of the human terms of religion, of marital norms and gender norms. We ain't, that ain't for us, that ain't never been for us. You know what I'm saying? We getting back to the griminess that can really go down with the X-Men in the mutant world. Like you either gonna get these uh, drugs to help you out, recognize as a sovereign nation, or you're gonna get walked out. I know what you want me to tell you. X-Men got Charles and Magneto together, got apocalypse on the set, come on now. I would also say, comics or otherwise, Magneto's one of the best characters ever created. He's one of the best fictional characters created. Like, his backstory, his origin, where his moral compass points to. Like, Magneto is a masterpiece of a character. And, like, when you get a writer that's really investing behind Magneto, or you get a portrayal of Magneto, like, sky's the limit. And that part that Omar's talking about in the X-Men and when they went to that summit, when they got someone for that meeting and Magneto just gave them the, he was like, listen, you're going to get these drugs or like, you're going to die out. You don't have a choice. <laughs> like Magneto's one of the goats. He, he just, yeah. I love how excited y'all are. And what I love about the book is that it comes through in the essays. You know, that being said, what are you most excited for people to read when they get their hands on this essay collection? Oh, that's a hard one. Cause everything I write and everything Will writes is incredible. <laughs> so you can't see it, but Omar is staring into the camera, into your soul. He is staring into all of your souls. I'll say like the Mario. I like. I'm like the fun uncle. I guess I just like the well, it's fun too. But I'm like, you know, I like the humor and whatnot. So I, I like the Mario Kart piece. I think everyone can relate to that because, like, you, you know, no matter what age you are, you had Mario Kart in some incarnation or whatever. So things that are like universal, like that, I'm excited to like. Oh, I know about Mario Kart. Yeah, I know about this character. Yeah, I, I'm excited for like the things where people will see it and they'll be like, oh, I thought this as well, or I thought, or oh, maybe only I felt this way about that. That's what I'm excited for people to to see. I think what I want people to get out of the book, hopefully it comes through that we had a lot of fun. Like it was just a fun experience. Like we're enthusiastic about what we're talking about. Obviously there's some essays that are deeply personal that kind of deal with a lot of our backstory. I'm laughing cause Omar's like, you know, I like to do the humorous thing. And I'm just like, so there's that one, he talks about his mother passing. And then there's this one about like, Omar, Omar has like deeply sentimental, very touching essays in the book. But uh, I hope it comes through that we were having a lot of fun. And I also hope that it kind of destigmatizes what a book like this is supposed to look like right? You're not going to confuse our collection. You know, it's, a, it's an essay collection, but you're not going to confuse our essay collection with just about anything else labeled an essay collection. I think because of how, how pronounced we are with our nerdom, how, how much fun we're having, the language that we use. I think we really try to just do something different. And ironically, the doing something different was just like being ourselves, right? And so for this book, to come out the way it is, to come out, you know, if I could flex a little bit on a big publishing house, like I want to kind of destigmatize what that looks like to people and know that like, you know, this kind of thing is possible. I've said to Omar a few times, like there may not be books out there like this one, like that are kind of like explicitly nerd culture, black nerd culture centered, but it won't be the last, right? Because hopefully if the book's successful, then there's going to be more investment on wanting to hear voices that are within our world. And so, you know, that's kind of a good thing because I feel like that's going to open up some opportunities for people that do the kind of things that, that we do. Hopefully this kind of changes what people think these books need to look like or can look like, because I think that we did something that's pretty original and pretty unique to what's out there. Where can folks get the book? When can folks get the book? What are all the deets? Get our book. How, what, what is ever is the easiest for you? 
if you feel comfortable leaving your house, which, you know, if you don't, I get it. <laughs> but if you feel comfortable leaving your house, visit your local bookseller, request the book if it's not there, helps your community, helps us still in the same way as someone that has been a bookseller or, or you know, has so many people that are in bookselling, like, let's keep them moving and give them dollars if you can. But anyway, if, you know, the best way you can get our book, just go ahead and cop it. O'Neill Jones, who is just this amazing artist, did sketches for about 10 of the essays in the book. And what was so amazing was that I would say to Omar, okay, this idea is completely ridiculous. Let's see what she says. And she come back like, okay, yeah, dope. I'm just going to do this, this, this. And we'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. That's amazing, right? So the sketches in there, some are, they're just what the story looks like and they're great sketches and some are hilarious. There's some references in some of those sketches that I'm anxious for people to see. So yes, that's included as well. You get, you get a little artwork. Love it. All right. Thank y'all both so much for being on TWIM. I am so excited for folks to see the book. Yes. It looks so good. Thank you, Angelique, for having us. This was a blast. This was a blast to talk about it with you. Go check out the book Black Nerd Problems on sale now wherever you get your books. Yeah, definitely check that out. Also, while you're out and about going and buying books, maybe stop by your local movie theater and go see Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, where you can see our next guest, Aquafina. She is one of the main stars of the film, and we have a great interview here hosted by Christine Din. I got my phone ready to ring up our pal Christine Din from Marvel Editorial. Let me see if she's she's on the line. Beep boop, pop boop, beep boop, pop boop. Ring, 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 ring. Christine's phone, ring. Hello. Oh, wow. You must have been far from your phone today. (laughs) I was. I heard across the room and just came sprinting. (laughs) I'm really jealous because you got to talk to Aquafina, who, of course, plays Katie in the film. She is such a delight. Always hilarious. Just her humor is always so self-deprecating. She learned archery for the film, which was totally cool. (laughs) Let's hear about that right now. What is your Marvel origin story? Like, was it the comics or any, like, TV shows or just films? My Marvel origin story was, I've been probably introduced to it first by the comics, right? But I think really watching Iron Man, I think, was, like, the first time. I I feel like they just, like, felt a little bit different in all the movies to follow. So, yeah, I guess when you talk about origin stories, it just just sounds really interesting, and that one was not interesting at all. No, that was totally interesting because I think Iron Man is a, a great gateway for a lot of people just because, you know, starting with comics is very daunting. Like, you know, when there's like a hundred thousands of issues, you're like, which one do I start with? And it comes full circle because that was where, you know, the Ten Rings were first introduced. So, you know, like what attracted you to the role of Katie? I mean, I loved playing the role of Katie. I think, you know, maybe that's kind of a narcissistic thing to say because I feel like she really is similar to myself. But I mean... I would read her lines and and crack up. It felt really cool to be able to almost come home to a character. I felt like there was an ease and a comfort, but also like a level of trust and freedom that I've never really had up until this point with a character like this. So it was really fun. Destin let us improv all the time, and I really felt like free to move around. That's awesome. So would you say that you are the cast member most like your character? Yes, I, I 100% am the most like my character, yeah. <laughs> Because Munger is is not like Xiaoling. And I would say, while well, Simu has aspects of Shang-Chi, they're different, yeah. But uh, me, I would totally fall off a pole <laughs> because I have no coordination, yeah. I really love, you know, hearing the stories, especially for Munger, where she told me that you threw the wedding reception for her and just how much a family, like, you guys are. Like, what was it like bonding on set? Especially when, you know, like, last year was a crazy year. Yeah, last year was a crazy year, and... I think on any movie set, you always feel like you're kind of at adult sleepaway camp and you all become like a little family. We really did, and we spent a lot of time together out in Sydney. We just really got to know each other really well. I especially got to know Munger and, and her now husband, Young Lee, who worked on the movie too. So yeah, when they got married at the end of it, it was kind of cool because I was like, this is like a celebration that like, this is a celebration of our family that we built out there. Yeah, it was really fun bonding with everyone, everyone was just really easy to get along with. 
and there was no problem there. Did you know most of the main cast before you joined, or did all your bonding happen on set? The only people I knew coming into was probably Ronnie, Simu, and Michelle. And Simu, I just worked with on my show, and I'd never worked with Munger before, who I you know loved instantaneously. But I, I was really, really excited, and for good reason, by Tony Leung, because oh, yeah. <laughs> just like such a huge fan, and uh, he's such a treat to work with him. Really, really good, good actor. I think a lot of you know, like for a lot of fans, it's really been important to see a lot of like strong friendships. And I think what was really great, both Shang-Chi and Katie are going on this journey and they have like their own coming of age journey. What was it like kind of being the rock for each other? Like how he was always embarrassed by his past, but you were there. And you know, like your character, which is something I really relate to is being afraid to fail. So like never just, you know, like approaching things. What was it like building out this friendship and storyline with the two of you? I mean, it was really easy to build it out, I think, just because it felt really natural with him, you know? I got a lot of questions over, like, the past couple of days about, like, the possibility of a platonic friendship between a boy and a girl. And I just can't believe that, like, people think that it would be impossible because most of my friends are guys and, and I have best mm-hmm. friends that are guys. So I can see it happening. But I think often when we get into character and we'd start a scene, I'd start to really, like, become a little, like, verklempt at, like, how cute and pure their kind of support of each other was. And also knowing the context of how they've met and how they've since been there for each other. I think um, if there ever was the exploration of a love or romantic aspect, it would have to have first been built off of a strong friendship. Yeah, but I think what was really hilarious is that, you know, when his character comes to America, you're like, oh yeah, he was being bullied and I would like stand up for the bullies for him. And then just like Katie's reaction on the bus when he's like, you can fight. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I did feel betrayed. I did. <laughs> because up until that point, you know, I was like, really? You know, I had to be there for you so much. And I do want to talk about, you know, like you do like a lot of incredible stunts, you know. You do like the race car driving and the bus driving and the archery. What's just like your favorite of all of the things that you had to learn? Favorite? I don't know. I I loved archery. I think it's a really relaxing sport. I don't know if it's relaxing, but I did find it nice. And driving, I think, was really fun because I've always wanted to know just, like, how one drifts, you know? Yeah. And and so I went out to a racetrack, and I was drifting and making, like, really sharp corners. And you're just pulling that wheel and just... It's a lot of pressing the gas and the brake at the same time. Was it, like, scary? It is scary, yeah. But then you have a guy right next to you that's like, yeah, you get night, you know. So then for the bus scene, how different was that? Like, was that a bus being pulled or did you actually get to physically drive the bus as well? I absolutely did not physically get to drive <laughs> the bus. I feel like you'd need like a whole license for that probably. <laughs> but the bus was a real bus that was suspended in air on a gimbal and there was a hydraulic system that caused it to, like, do all kinds of crazy stuff. So it really did feel like I was driving. Like, it's, it's really cool, like, when the bus acts with you. So, like, the bus was my yeah. scene partner in that way. Yeah, that whole sequence, I didn't feel like I was doing a lot. I was literally just up there kind of manning the wheel. And I remember just looking in, in the rearview mirror and seeing just the most insane fighting and, like, things going on behind me that made me feel very useless. So all good. But what I also just really love is, you know, like the projects you have chosen in your career. I think a lot of times for, you know, Asian Americans, we feel like our stories can only be about being Asian Americans. But I think the projects you've signed on for, that's just who they are, but it's not their story. What does it feel to like have this Marvel franchise, but have the cast and crew be predominantly Asian? I mean, it it feels great because I think there are certain contexts where the Asian American identity or the Asian identity does need to play more of a part, right? But then there's always that like amazing feeling of like playing a part with an understanding of who they are without ever saying it, right? And having Mm -hmm. it to be about that. I see representation evolving. And, you know, I've been really honored to be a part of like all Asian casts before. And I think uh, it's just all different. There's diversity within representation as well. With this movie, there's so many different perspectives that are being shown that kind of mirrors like 
the spectrum of the Asian American uh, Asian experience, which is it can span all these different things. So I think it's just really important now that we tell stories with that in mind. You want to tell authentic stories that are written authentically that tell specific stories, you know? Yeah. How much of that was tied to working with Destin? Wow. I mean, a lot of it. Destin and Dave Callahan had a very specific vision in mind and they knew how to execute it. And a big part of that was telling this story with care and authenticity. And um, Destin, I don't think, would ever make a decision that would be anything but that for any of these characters or the fates of these characters. So he had a great deal to play in that. And I really love all of the characters that, that he built. So now the cool thing is, with you now, like, officially in the MCU, you join a group of archers in the MCU. We have Hawkeye, and we also have, you know, Kate Bishop coming up. If you guys were to be on the shooting range, who do you think would get the most, you know, bullseye? Not me. I would be the caddy. I would off the bat offer, like, let me just hold your bows or your arrows, and you can grab them, and I'll be here. You want some Gatorade? That's what I would do. And I'm totally fine doing that. I mean, I'm just looking forward for you and Kate Bishop to team up. <laughs> I'm ready. I mean, it's a lot of a lot of Kates going on there. That is true. Maybe, you know, there could only be one. And that'll probably be Kate Bishop because I really, I don't think I can rise to the occasion, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah. You rose to the occasion with, you know, crazy monsters coming at you. <laughs> yeah, I rose to the occasion. If you were. It's that time of day. I can totally imagine. So I guess uh, my last thing for you is, is there anything you want to say to the Marvel fans and, you know, like what you're excited for them to learn about you and your character in the film? I'm excited for them to just watch the film and I hope that they enjoy the my performance and all the performances and that they just have fun and they like it. Well, thank you so much. I truly love seeing you on screen and just all of your roles have been so incredible. Like always either bringing me to tears or just laughing nonstop. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Big thank you to Aquafina and you, Christine, for coming through and helping us out and doing some great interviews. We appreciate it. Thank you. I'm always a fan of just hanging out with the this weekend Marvel crew. Well, have a good day. I'm hanging up the phone now. Click. Go see Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings in theaters now because it's so good. Yeah. All right. So let's move on and think about what we're going to have next week. Actually, I was looking at the schedule of what's coming next week. There's some cool stuff to reveal at that point. But we also have great interviews on the show. Next week, we have Ian Hecox and Ify Nawadiwe from Smosh, as well as Marvel Studios Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings star Munger Zhang. They're going to be on here and whooping it up. It's going to be a hoot and a holler. The folks from Smosh do a lot of like pranks and stuff like that. So Lorraine, I was thinking for our question of the week, what if the question was, what character in the Marvel Universe would you like to prank? Cyclops, so he can cry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't actually given this enough thought, and now I'm derailed. Um, How about Dupe? I feel like Dupe would, like, barf slime or something if you scared him properly. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you, could, if you could get a good scare out of someone, woo. What's the name of the big octopus? <laughs> Shumagara. Shumagara. If you can make Shumagara ink, like you're like, boo. And it's like, ink. <laughs> that would be great. I'm sorry for that sound effect. That was unnecessary. Lorraine, that's not ink. All of those are great answers. I would also love to prank Thanos just to see mm. the excessive reaction and the like overcompensation for an escalation of events <laughs> and where that would go. Goodbye, universe. Or he might just be like, good one, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great Thanos impression. Thank and let's you. move on. You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show. You got beyond that one, Ryan. <laughs> All right, moving on to community. The question of the week last week was, of all of the PlayStation Showcase 2021 news, which Marvel announcement are you dying to know more about? And we've got a whole bunch of tweets here, so let's get into it. Yeah, David at KD underscore Explorers says, of course, everyone wants to know about Wolverine. Is this one going to be an open world like Spider-Man or strictly story-based? Will we get to make corny jokes about Cyclops? And will we meet other X-Men? 
lot of questions there, KD. No answers for you right now. Sorry. Oh, can I tell you one of my favorite moments of the Marvel's Wolverine trailer, though? Yes. When they show his knuckles, and I was like, oh, no, his knuckles got hurt. And then I was like, oh, no, that's not his blood. (laughs) Like, that was my brain going click, click, click. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah, somebody had a bad day. Yeah. All right. Next up, Ed Zeraren at... Edzeraren13 said, Marvel Spider-Man 2, the backstory of Venom in the game and the voiceover during the trailer, very curious about him, sounds like Craven, and most especially the Insomniac Games Wolverine, excited to know the storyline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Stoop Kid at Benjo Music says, so this week in Marvel got me hype with Marvel Spider-Man 2 and Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, but Marvel's Wolverine, and then there's like, Five exclamation points sprinkled in between five question marks. You hype, we hype, very hype. I'm that Dan at skulls underscore diamond says, I have to say I am very, very excited for both Wolverine and Spider-Man 2, but I am very excited to see where they will take the game story for Wolverine. I wonder what it'll be about. Very hyped. Aren't we all? Keenan at Darth Keenan responds to our question asking, which are they most dying to know more about? By saying Wolverine, for sure. Some fans always wanted it. The X-Men in video games have been a pretty rare thing, and seeing a game with current-gen graphics, it will sure be something special. I really wonder how the fight mechanics will be. I mean, the fighting is going to be, I'm sure, so incredible. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. Next up, we have Jason at Cedar Valley Game, which said, I would love to know more about Wolverine. He's the reason I started reading comics as a kid. My first issue was Wolverine number 48, volume two, and I've been reading Wolverine ever since. Ooh, so that's ripe in the midst of the big anniversary, the Weapon X sort of stuff that's going on. That's I'd been hard into Wolverine comics at that time. It was really great. All right, next up, we have one from Rephelian66 at Rephelian66, which says, Think all the teams involved did and are doing amazing work. I can't wait to see more about Wolverine and maybe even some more about X-Men showing up. Midnight Suns and Guardians of the Galaxy have me very excited. Who am I kidding? So does (laughs) (laughs) Spider-Man. Gotta have them all. Just like a Pokemon. Gotta have them all. We've got a Facebook message from Keith Lyle who says, even though I've already pre-ordered Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and I'm super pumped for Marvel Spider-Man 2, I'm actually excited about Wolverine because it was so unexpected. I mean, I honestly haven't played a Wolverine game since the Wolverine game for Super Nintendo and as frustrating as that game was for me and as many times as I tossed my controller in frustration, I loved that game. I'm also looking forward to finding out more about the game and what it's actually about and some actual gameplay footage. Keith, With you, I will say this to you and to anyone else. There's also a really great Wolverine game that came out in the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 era. X-Men Origins Wolverine game. It's so good. It's so good. I actually have my copy and I've been thinking about popping it in to see how it runs on my Xbox Series X. So TBD. I got an email from Dylan Dussault, who says, I'm dying to see more of Marvel's Wolverine. I'm really excited for Marvel Spider-Man 2, but Wolverine easily comes first. Wolverine is my second favorite Marvel character of all time, so I'm dying for this. I'm so glad they're making it, and I really love the Wolverine game X-Men Origins Wolverine from 2009. So hopefully they take some stuff from that, but also make a brand new and fresh, enjoyable game. See, look, even Dylan gets it. Dylan knows what I'm talking about. I would say they don't need to take anything from that. They can exist totally on their own. Insomniac Games has been on fire in the last five, ten years. So they're going to crush it. Heck yeah. Next up, we have an email from Jenny Huang, which says, Another great podcast and another good interview. I hope one day that the Spider-Man game will show Queens. Also, one day that Daredevil will be added. Thank you, Jenny. All right, we have an email here from Bilal Alayan, which says, Hey, Lorraine and Ryan, I just wanted to let you know I really enjoyed the interview you had with Kelly Thompson and Steve Wacker last week. Kelly has done some unbelievable books for Marvel, and I have been enjoying them all, especially her current run on Black Widow. She also created some of my favorite characters over the last few years, such as Star, Ripley Ryan, and of course, Jeff the Landshark. We had a six-month-old baby at home, and his favorite video is Baby Shark. He smiles and screams like a puppy each time we play that video for him. 
When It's Jeff was released on Marvel Unlimited, I knew I had to show him the comic. Seeing him smile as we scrolled through the issue while his older sister and I add sound effects to the comics filled me with great joy. Thanks to Kelly Thompson and Giri Hiru, we have a great all-ages book that I will remember as the first comic book I showed my son. Thank you, Bilal. P.S. I love the newly redesigned Marvel Unlimited. Steve Wacker and the rest of the Marvel staff did a great job with the new version of the app. I knew there was a reason why you guys kept him around. Winky face. I like that in the middle of a wonderful series of compliments, Bilal is able to throw in a good dig at Steve Wacker as it should be. What a wonderful email. Also, shout out to Chris Thorsden, who sent over an email. I got it. Shared it along. Thanks for the love about the podcast and uh, passed your feedback along to the right people. So thank you to that one, Chris. Lorraine, that's it. That's a wrap. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our audio development manager is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Wolverine's Claws, Wolverine's Claws, Poppin' Claws, and Breakin' Jaws. It's Wolverine's Claws. Get yours, Snick, today. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.